Thanks for listening to Victory's podcast today. Connecting people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus is what we're all about. For more resources or to reach out to us, go to victorychristian.church. Are you all ready for the Bible? All right. So I want to open with you today in Mark chapter 9, verse 30, and uh, part of verse 31. It says this. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. Let's take a moment. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Um, Thank you, God, for the gift of worshiping you and the gift of coming together safely. Um, Father, for those who are watching and listening online today, Father, pour out your spirit right where they are, listening and tuning into what you have for them today in your word. Lord, we open up our hearts today to hear your voice today. Um, Lord, speak. Speak to our hearts. Have your way in us, Lord. Lord Jesus, we are so impressed by you. You're our hero, and we love you. And um, we want to hear by your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, would you speak to us? Lord, I pray for the empowerment and the leading of your spirit, God, to share what's in your heart today. We love you and we honor you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Y'all know, being a disciple of Jesus is a lifelong journey. You know, there's that moment where you make a commitment to follow Christ, where you're born again, and you have this new life, and you find out not only do you have a new life, but you will be transformed all your life. Little bit by little bit, as we walk with the Lord, He just transforms us. He doesn't overwhelm us, but he does transform us. And I'm always impressed at how he's he's never done. You know what I'm talking about? Like there's always something next. And some people take that as a negative. I love it. I'm like, keep on going, right? Uh, Keep on changing me and transforming me to be like you. And I was really interested as I was looking into the word about Jesus' personal interactions with his disciples You know, he spoke to a lot of crowds and that kind of thing. But in these verses that I just read to you in in Matthew 9, 30 and 31, um, it talks about how Jesus um, didn't want anyone to know where they were. Basically, Jesus was going on the lamb, right? He hid out and was like, you know what? I just want time with my disciples, Um, time just to teach them. And I kind of feel like when I'm reading that in Scripture, there's something in me that kind of like wants to lean in. It's all good. But there's something about just being with the disciples that makes me go, okay, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? And today's story um, in Scripture is near the end of Jesus' three-year journey on earth. Um, and it's, it's really getting close to when he's going to go to the cross. And I'm humbled and surprised to see how much they still had to learn. This, these disciples. I'm thinking, they've been with him for three years. I'm thinking, you know, they, they, they're really learning something. And it makes me wonder, you know, I've been walking with the Lord for about 30 years. I celebrated 30 years, May 5th, uh, um, this, this year. And uh, which y'all are like, oh, wow, you, you're, yeah, I'm, I'm older than you think. Um, <laughs> but it makes me think, like, how much more do, how much do I have to learn still? You know what I'm talking about? Like, and this story 
kind of like, because when we read these stories, we're not supposed to look at them as like, oh, you silly disciples, you should just know better. We need to put ourselves in their, show, their shoes going, I'm the silly disciple, and I have so much more to learn, right? And so in Mark chapter 10, just a chapter after what we just read, we're going to see this interaction that Jesus is having with his disciples. And um, it, it causes um, a brouhaha, as we like to say in, in Goochland. Mark 10.35 says this, Then Jesus and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. James and John, by the way, are disciples of Jesus, part of the twelve. They said, we want you to do for us whatever, you, whatever we ask. I don't know what about you, but like if one of my children came to me and said, Dad, I want you to do for me whatever I ask, I'd be like, start again. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> let's, let's just rewind, okay, and repeat. Let, let's, let's, let's try that again. Verse 36, that's not how Jesus answers. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? I wonder what his disposition was when he said that. <laughs> kind of like, oh, what do you want me to do for you? Uh, anyhow, uh, I'm playing it in my brain. I can't wait to see, you know, get the VHS tape in heaven and, and see it. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand, right, and the other at your left in glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized? baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with, but to sit at my right or my left is not for you to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. I'm looking at this conversation going, bold move, right? Like, we want you to do whatever we ask you to do. I'm like, yikes. But what's really cool is like the context of what's going on in this scripture. So I mentioned to you that it's kind of near the end of Jesus' journey, right? The disciples knew at this point that they were headed back to Jerusalem. And Jesus' tone was changing. He's talking about how he's going to die, and they're like, whatever, whatever, right? They're, they're just listening to him like something is changing. And the disciples were beginning to think something big is about to go down. Now, when they're thinking something big is about to go down, they're probably thinking big like he's going to be large and in charge, right? But we know the big thing that's about to happen is the cross, right? And so maybe they thought, you know what? It's time for Jesus to, to take his throne. And James and John are thinking kind of like, now's our chance. Now's our opportunity. Let's ask for what we want. You almost sense this kind of like urgency. There's another one where like mama is involved, like the other version. It's like wanting, wanting their, their boys to be in power. There's, there's something in their heart that wanted position. They've been journeying with the 12, but they wanted position. Perhaps it was a desire for power. Perhaps it was a, a desire for position. To, perhaps it was a desire for prestige, like to, to be the guys on Jesus' left and right, or maybe it was a desire for money, or perhaps all those things, right? And Jesus replies to them, and he goes, you don't know what you're asking to be on my right and my left. Ironically, in the same book of Mark, it's going to record in a few chapters that there are two thieves hanging on a cross, one on his left and one on his right. Yikes. I wonder if days later, when Jesus is on the cross and they see the two thieves, I wonder if it clicked for them then. 
I wonder if they thought, we were just asking to be on his right and his left. And they did. if they did, they, they would have remembered Jesus asking if they could drink the cup that he drank. And it was alluding to the, the cup of judgment that, uh, that it talks about in the Old Testament. And Jesus was going to take the judgment of all of us upon him on the cross. It wasn't a good cup, it was a bad cup, right? And be baptized with the baptism he would receive. Uh, talking about the suffering that he was about to go through. Um, and Jesus explains, oh, by the way, you will go through suffering. But this whole right and left thing, and they were talking about in glory and power. They weren't talking about the cross, their desire to be on his left and right. It's like, that's not for you to set. Jesus had been really clear with his disciples prior to this that following him meant denying themselves. By the way, that applies to us too, right? There is this denial. Does God love you? Yes. Will he provide for you? Yes. Does he sincerely care about your needs? Absolutely. And, and does God cause us, call us to make sacrifices? Absolutely. He says here in Mark 8, same, same book, Mark 8, 34, then he called the, the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. And follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me, for the gospel will save it. Maybe by the time we get to chapter 10, maybe there's something in James and John that's like trying to cash in on the sacrifices they've already been making. Because for three years they had left everything they had, right? And they're following Jesus and they're, they're being and his disciples. But we, something happened in that moment that, that like came out, like that kind of manifested itself from their hearts and from, from a sinful place, a desire in them that wasn't godly and that was really self-centered. And even when you're, you're reading in the scripture, like Mark is a really fun book. It's like the comic book, if you will, of, of gospels. I don't mean comic book like it's not real. I mean like comic book like there's lots of action. The book just goes really fast. I had a, somebody tell me once, it's like the book of Mark is written in a way, it's like they're just rushing to get to the cross. It's like blitzkrieg, just trying to get there so quick, right? And in this, in this story, it's like all of a sudden, like the disciples, you'd think they were doing so well, and this self-centered thing comes out of them. And it makes me wonder, like, what is lurking in my heart? Now, I don't mean that from a point where I got to be like uber critical about myself and like I need a magnifying glass and I got to find everything that's wrong because if I do that, the devil will help. He will tell you everything that you do wrong and he ain't your master, he ain't your boss and you know what? He'll give you truth to shame you. We got to listen to the Holy Ghost, amen? But it makes me wonder, what are some of the things that are lurking in my heart that in a moment of urgency or in a moment where I, I feel like, you know, a time is short, I better blurt out the thing that's in me. Like, what's the thing that's in there? And it makes me think, God, like, show me those things. Help me get rid of them so they don't undermine me later when it's an important time, right? The story continues, and in verse 41, it says, when the 10 heard about this, when it says the 10, it's talking about the rest of Jesus' disciples because there were 12, James and John, and then the other 10. You can imagine how they're going to feel about this, right? When the 10 heard about this, they were indignant. 
with James and John. Jesus called them together. It's like family meeting. Family meeting. Called them together. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Did you all catch that last verse? For even the Son of Man, talking about himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now this, this attempted like power grab really upset the disciples. It says that they were indignant about what was going on, right? Maybe they're offended because of what is in James and John's heart, right? Maybe they're jealous of James and John, or maybe they wanted the position, the power, the honor. And actually what we see in the previous chapter in Mark 9 is it really was the latter, that they actually wanted the power itself. Because it says in Mark 9.33, they came to Capernaum, Capernaum when he was in the house, he asked them, what are you arguing about on the road? And they kept quiet because they had argued about who was the greatest. Isn't that interesting? I have a little theory about what was going on. You ever been on a really successful team? I have say the Pittsburgh Steelers. No, sorry. I better stay focused. Um, if you've ever been on a team that did really well, I got to tell you, it feels good. I will have to say, I really prefer winning than losing. It's a lot more fun. If you can, if you can imagine like being a disciple of Jesus and being on his team for three years, it's a good team. And I mean, they're doing really well. They're, they're, they, they've never lost a match. Demons are fleeing, people are getting healed, people are res- being resurrected from the dead. I mean, uh, you know, like Lazarus, like, I mean, it is a really good team to be on. You know, sometimes when you're on a great team, it can go to your head. And I wonder if what was going on in their hearts was something was, was rising up in them that was like, you know what, we're pretty awesome. I mean, Jesus picked us. He's, he told us he prayed all night about picking us. He picked us. I mean, I'd say that's a pretty good choice. Something is kind of going to their head, the success of it all and all of that. And now they're reaching for position and Jesus is like, I need you guys to go the other way. You're reaching for power and who's the best. And Jesus is like, no, you have it all the opposite. And Jesus is telling him, listen, the non-kingdom people use power to lord it over people. And your desire for who's best among you and who gets to be on my left and who gets it, you have it all wrong. You're thinking about this wrong because you see, kingdom leaders are servants. You want to be first, okay, serve, Jesus says. Be the slave of all. I was really fascinated. Um, somebody shared with me recently, we were talking about the, the Last Supper. And y'all remember uh, the Last Supper, if you've read that story, it's in the book of John. 
Jesus gets up at the end and he washes all of their feet, which was an act of service, a common act of service that the lowest tier person in the house, that was their job. Because you can imagine, they didn't have your nice Nike and Adidas shoes covering their feet. Their, their feet were grody. But here's what's fascinating. The Last Supper was Jesus' disciples and Jesus. He gets up at the end of, of supper and he starts washing all of their feet, which means they were all laying there, you know, because they kind of laid on their side and like, I'm here and my head's next to so-and-so's feet and my feet are next to so-and-so's head. Y'all, you wash your feet when you get there before dinner, not after dinner. And what this um, a professor of mine told me, he said, I think what happened was none of the disciples wanted to be the servant. None of them wanted to be identified as taking the lowest position in the room and taking care of the foot washing. And so Jesus waits till the end. He gets up, and then Peter's like, oh, no, like, you know, can't wash my feet. You know, he's like, no, no, no. Like, well, then you have nothing to do with me. Well, then wash all of me. He's like, Peter. <laughs> so extreme. I think Peter got the 16 and just kind of like stayed there. Just kidding. If you're 16, I really apologize for what I just said. I was 16 for a whole year. Um, but he's like, he's saying, you know, you got it all wrong. Because what's happening in you is leading to a pride. And can I say this, like, and I don't mean this harshly, but we need to receive all the blessings that God has given us in our lives, and it should humble us not make us arrogant. All these gifts, all these blessings, the way that God is so good to us and so kind to us, this is, this is not our, our badge of arrogance and pride so that we can show off that we think we're better than someone else. No, it's to the glory and the honor of a good God who takes really good care of us and it should humble us, right? And there should never be a point in our life where we go, you know what? Now, y'all serve me. <laughs> now I'm at the right hand or the left hand. Like there's something so beautiful about this. And what's really cool is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this scripture today in Philippians chapter 2. I've got several verses to read to you, so hang tight with me here. So the Apostle Paul, who like, is like a real rock star in the kingdom of God. I mean, this guy has gone through so much for the kingdom, done so much for the kingdom. And it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, this, this letter that he's writing, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but to each of you, but each of you to the interest of others. Isn't that powerful? Paul's saying, it ain't about us. We are not the center of the universe. And I think, like, if you were looking for a good place to camp out in devotions, that's a really good one this week, Philippians 2, uh, 3, and 4. I want to read that one more time, and then it gets better. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's exactly what was happening that day with those, those disciples. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. So good. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. 
Now he takes it to another level. In your relationships with another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, and that the name of Jesus, uh, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I read that scripture, it just like makes me want to shake in my boots. Now, I want to put this, this, this brief caveat, but I'm not going to go very far with this. Humility is not about beating yourself up and making yourself low. That's not what Jesus was telling them. Humility is about being useful to God. Jesus said, I do nothing on my own, but I only do what I see the Father doing. Like he, he was this example of humility. And this scripture talks about how he's come down out of heaven and out of glory. And he humbled himself, being obedient to death, even death on a cross, taking on humanity. And even though he was God, he wasn't trying to, 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 to show off the godness. He was actually trying to show us what humility and servanthood look like. It's so powerful. And to the disciples that day, they just got big for their britches. Just something happened in their heart that made me think, you know what, I'm somebody. And you know, the thing is, they were right, but they were wrong. You are somebody, but it's not because of you. And to seek to be somebody is the wrong pursuit. The pursuit is to serve God. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Like, that gets from Psalms, right? Like, that kind of attitude of just service. And, and, and I just want to encourage us as believers, like, we really want people to see Jesus in us. Amen? Let me try that again. <laughs> we really want people to see Jesus in us. Amen? Amen? And for them to see him in us, we got to look at him as the example. I'm not saying that you got to serve in ways that God hasn't called you to serve and sacrifice in ways that God hasn't called you to serve. I'm saying there's something about our hearts that should never grow out of servanthood and out of knowing who's the king. And being careful for what we ask for. Even scripture says, be careful seeking the desire of a teacher because you are held doubly accountable. And it's like, oh, thank you for that. I said to somebody once recently, I said, you know, I'm accountable for your soul. And they looked at me. And what I, I didn't mean like it's my job to make sure you're saved. No, I'm just accountable for how I serve you before God. And I take that seriously. And I was, I was saying something difficult. <laughs> <laughs> kind of my way of saying, I have to say this to you because I'm accountable for how I, what I say to you. I just want to encourage you today, service is a great honor. 
And us knowing the Lord should constantly breed a humility in us that wants to invite other people in. And can I, can I tell you that if your power is what's attracting people to the gospel, you may be drawing the wrong thing in them. If your status, and I mean from an arrogant standpoint, is what's drawing people to Jesus, we may be pulling on the wrong heartstring. Because the reality is, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, right? Like there's this humility because he's the hero. He's the one that we serve and he's the one that we worship. So I, I just want to encourage you today, would you, as you're going through this week, like if you're looking for a place for devotions, Philippians 2, 3, and 4, and just let God speak to you. Don't let the devil beat you up. Don't listen to him. He's not worth your time. But let God lead you in your attitude of service, in your attitude towards one another, because the kingdom looks really beautiful when we do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above ourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. If you stand with me, I'm going to share a picture with you, and then I'm going to pray. I heard this a long, long time ago when I was um, in Bible college. A professor said that somebody had had a vision. I think it was a dream. And they said, in this dream, they were in heaven, and, and, or they, were, they had died, and they were walking down this hallway, and there was a door that said hell and a door that said heaven. And he opened up the door to look into hell. And this is a picture. This isn't the Bible, okay? This is just a prophetic picture. And there was a round table with all this amazing food on it. And everybody's, um, everybody's appendages were like a fork and a spoon. But they were so oversized that they couldn't get it to their own mouth. And it was a, it was a picture of all these people who were dead. And you could tell they had the food. They just couldn't get it to their own mouth shut the door and he goes to the next door and he opens the door and it's this door, uh, the one labeled heaven. And in there, it's pretty close to the same picture. Table, round, lots of food, same with the appendages. Everybody realized that if they would just feed the person next to them, they would be taken care of. It's a different way of thinking in God's kingdom. What's great is we have scripture. We have the recordings of like, what Jesus said to inspire us to be like him. I want to reiterate one more time. God is not trying to lower your confidence. He's trying to deflate our pride. Because there's this paradox. I struggle because I was like, Lord, do you want me to preach on humility and confidence? Because you're supposed to have both. It's a real paradox. He's not trying to rob your confidence. But pride stinks in the kingdom. It really does. Let's take a moment and let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. And Jesus, we're so impressed by you. You would humble yourself all the way to a cross. You were a servant all along the way. And we're inspired by who you are. God, I know you're not calling us to loathe ourselves or to beat ourselves. But God's servanthood is an honorable thing in your kingdom. Lord, in our hearts, we just give you permission. Would you take out the need to look good?
Take out the need for prestige. Take out the need for power. Take out the need for uh, things for the wrong purposes. God, we, and then help us to hold our heads high before you. Help us to know the places that you're calling us to pour out our gifts and to serve. Thank you for a guy like Kevin today who's in the rain cooking chicken for us while we're in here worshiping and laughing and kids are receiving the word. Thank you for Kevin. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your example. We love you and we worship you today. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to connect with us, or if you'd like to know how you can give, go to victorychristian.church.